0: Welcome to Talk World Radio, a half-hour discussion of politics as if the people mattered. I'm David Swanson. This week on Talk World Radio, we're discussing the use of nonviolent activism in Western Sahara. Our guest, Ruth McDonough, is a 35-year-old former secondary school teacher who was born and raised in the northern mountains of Wabanaki or New Hampshire. Ruth is an educator, facilitator, and activist in service of understanding across diversity of experiences and perspectives. Right now, she is one of a team of people serving as nonviolent, unarmed, protected in Western Sahara. Uh, Ruth McDonough, welcome to Talk World Radio.
1: Thank you, David.
0: Uh, thank great you. great to be with you. Uh, great to have you on. I hope we keep a good connection with you there in, in Western Sahara while we're recording. What is the, the state of the Moroccan occupation of Western Sahara, and what are you guys doing there?
1: Well, first of all, I would say that I'm no expert on the state of the entire occupation. Um, every day that I've been here, I've learned new things from just being here and being with the Sahrawi people, um, who are the people uh, of Western Sahara. Um, but what I can speak to is that this is this is the 46th, coming on the 47th year of occupation here in Western Sahara. Um, uh, by by the Moroccan government and Moroccan forces, and what I've experienced since arriving arriving to the Chaya family household um, is, first of all, actually seeing some of the tactics that the that the Moroccan forces are using to intimidate and uh, and and threaten uh, and and. Really keep keep down uh, Sahrawi activists from from asking for self determination, and um, and really like freedom from from fear and and exploitation, um, and so that I would say right now the state of it that I'm the most aware of is I'm in a home that's recovering after a. 482 days of violent siege, and about oh now it's got to be two weeks. We're coming up on day 500, um, where there's been a quiet since the, we four four travelers arrived: three Americans and one Indian citizen. So. Um, and I can certainly speak more to that. But but I would say it's a it is a violent and um, and a, an a, an oppressive uh, occupation. Yeah, but, And that is ongoing and and systemic.
0: And the fact of the presence of people from the United States and India in the household where you are is protecting mm-hmm. it?
1: Yes. Um, Despite the fact that when I when when we were preparing, I don't think any of us really had a sense of how powerful our presence would be. We, um, our, our hosts, our Sahrawi hosts assured us that simply having American passport holders in the house would make all the difference. I don't think we imagined that our American privilege would be this powerful, but within two hours of our arrival in the house, um, which was, was done uh, in secret. We arrived in secret because we were afraid we'd be prevented uh, from entering the house. Once we arrived um, and the word got out that we were in the house, uh, the, the, the close um, siege, which we had seen when we arrived, we could see the guards walking outside the windows. That siege really opened up to a new level where the guards really backed off about two blocks so now we can see them from the rooftops and we can see them at night switching and getting picked up by the same cars every every day um, but it it was like day and night between coming into the house under full siege and then we found out that the siege was somewhat broken. Um, It it seemed broken for an hour or two when the house flooded with neighbors who hadn't been able to visit and pay their respects in over a year and a half.
0: There's, I think, uh, Ruth, there's a certain segment of the population in the U.S. and around the world that has some familiarity with the state of affairs in Palestine with an Israeli occupation. I think much bigger than has any idea about the Moroccan occupation of Western Sahara. Uh, do, you, mm-hmm. do you know enough uh, about Palestine to, to offer any comparisons or, or similarities? Is that Does that give an accurate picture, roughly, of of where you're living
1: um there are undeniable parallels and i would say to anyone who's interested in social justice and 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 environmental justice and uh gender equality and all all kinds of interconnected fights for for freedom and equality like these the the fight in for and, and the struggle really the struggle for freedom in Palestine is deeply connected to the people here in Western Sahara. Um, And and that's something that's been recognized. We've had calls from folks in Palestine thanking us for standing in solidarity with the Sahrawi people. And in many of the speeches that uh, are being made in the nonviolent protests from the roof, and we've seen this in in other spaces, there's a recognition of a a shared struggle against occupation, absolutely. And many of the many of the the, the tactics are are very similar. Um, even just uh, um, it, part of what what we've seen in our time here is uh, like a young a young boy who just visited the house who has no. Uh, no political action at all. And the only political action that we see, by the way, from the people is nonviolent political action. Um, but a young boy, a 14-year-old, has been arrested and is currently being held in the police station against his, his parents' wishes um, after after being threatened uh, to not come back and visit this house of activists, and that being really the only thing against him. Um, so, so threatening children, um, resource uh resource theft um yeah uh i would say also parallels there are parallels in the way that the u.s government is is um is supporting the the occupying regimes as well i i it's a strange thing to be here with the privilege of an american holding protection and at the same time to know that the same nation is the one uh Supporting supporting Morocco to be doing this.
0: It is indeed a strange world when the presence of U.S. lives can protect against, likely as not, U.S. made weapons uh, by, used by a, a U.S. supported yeah. oppressive uh, government
1: and certainly U.S. tactics and and U.S. yeah U.S. settler colonial thinking about about how to disrupt indigenous people and in their culture and lives. Absolutely. Right, from, from disrupting uh, education, that there are no as as far as I understand, and I, I I'm pretty sure that this is true, there are no um, no universities here in Western Sahara where people can get degrees. So even even when on a on a structural level for society to to have the the roots cut out from under it. Um, we're seeing that at all levels.
0: And so, what are people able to do? You mentioned demonstrations on rooftops. Uh, can you describe those, and what else uh, are people trying to do and, and unable to do?
1: Well, I think you know, as as with any group or population, there's a huge amount of diversity. Um, and one thing that unites the Sahrawi people as as a as a nation and as as a people, and this was several people have reminded me to bring this up because they're very proud of it. Is that regardless of the tactics, the Sahrawi people are very dedicated to nonviolent tactics, and so you hear voices from the, the refugee camps in uh, in Algeria, and you hear you know stories from mothers whose whose children have been disappeared, or whose children are currently known to be in prisons. Um, and under torture, under conditions of torture, um, for for participating in peaceful protests, um, to to people who are going out into the streets um, and raising up the sign of peace and victory for the Sahrawi people, um, and all the way all the way to specifically women leading leading the act because they. They have a particular kind of leadership within Sahrawi society, but also because they're at a different level of, of risk um, to, to raise their voices. And 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 just as the occupation has many different tactics to address each of each of the populations, um, there there are certainly specific kinds of of violence that the, the women protesters face. Um, such as sexual assaults, um, having poison dumped on them, having their houses destroyed or surrounded, having their children attacked. Um, these are all things that these these activists have have, as a group, recognized are tactics being used against them. Um, so when when I go up on the roof to, your, to answer your question, what's it like to be on the roof with, with women whose whose children are. At this moment, being held in jail because they came with them to the protests, it, it's the most um, intensely humbling experience to, to be able to stand with them and to think that uh, that it was even possible for me by some incredible chance to be here with them um, and it feels like a huge amount of responsibility because you're right, Like people have heard about Palestine, people have heard about the Uyghur people, you know people have heard about all kinds of other conflicts um, happening and happening and other forms of oppression um, uh, and and even as as someone who was an educator and taught about North Africa, I I really didn't have any idea the extent to the to the the type of occupation that was happening here.
0: Yeah, I don't know how so long. it feels
1: like a responsibility to share.
0: I don't know, Ruth, how long you've been there or whether you see U.S. news media, uh, but U.S. news media suddenly cares about war victims and is very sympathetic to war victims uh, if they are in Ukraine. Uh, And so there is a possibility, Mm -hmm. I think, to say, thank you, wonderful. Can we help you identify some other war victims, for example, in Western Sahara? Yes.
1: Let Ukraine be a model for us all of how to respond, because that is, I think, I, I'm, I'm also a British citizen, and watching the, the response in, of the UK government uh, to taking in Ukrainian refugees, I've certainly had that thought as well, um, is that what a wonderful thing, that we know, we know what the response to conflict can and should look like, um, and now we just need to apply it across the board, absolutely.
0: The, it, it seems what little I know of the history of this conflict in Western Sahara it, it seems that there have been periods of greater violent resistance and periods of greater nonviolent resistance to the occupation. My impression is that the latter has been a little bit more successful although complete success has not been achieved what what do you think uh, people in Western Sahara believe about those two approaches, and which do you think is is more likely to succeed?
1: Well, first of all, I I've I've shared this question. I've I've talked about this question with some Western Saharans, with some Sahrawi people, um, and the distinction between understanding that the Polisario Front as an armed group, um, as as an army. Uh, is different from the Sahrawi people, um, and that being engaged with with a violent struggle against the occupation with occupying forces is different than being engaged in in struggle of the occupation as as a state uh, for the Sahrawi people. And so, as as far as the conversation goes, when when speaking with the nonviolent activists and with with anyone who's who's on the ground as a Sahrawi in their identity it's very clear that there has never been an attack on any, any settler, any, um, any Moroccan citizen. There's never been any violent clashes between the Sahrawi people and, uh, and Morocco and Moroccans. Um, and that's a very important distinction that I've been asked to share. Um, as far as the, the use of, of violent struggle, um, and, and, where violence, you know, violence begets violence or, or peace begets peace. Um, I think in both in theory and in practice, and I actually have I have some, um, some statistics on this, but given our, our poor connection, I'm not gonna switch screens just in case. Um, but uh, statistically, uh, studies have, have been done and proven again and again, that in terms of long-term success, um, it's really nonviolent action that that yields much 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 more stable and strong uh outcomes in societies because nonviolence really opens up the possibility of building relationships um not just reaching a political uh a political low point in terms of energy output um, and so I think when you're when you're building d- democratic and uh and open societies having having nonviolence because nonviolence is a very creative process, um, and and it's a very cooperative process. And so, building the skills to have a true nonviolent movement also is builds the skills to have an incredibly vibrant society, um, and that that's statistically proven. Um, and so, I would say the, the women here specifically who I've been meeting and spending time with have shown me that. Um, and, and, and I, I, I'm speechless actually just, I just need to take a breath to think about how powerful it has been to hear the, the commitment to a future, not just a commitment to a process, but a commitment to a future that is established on a basis of nonviolence and that the Sahrawi people and their relationship with their neighbors, their relationship with the Moroccan people, their relationship with the settlers who live here, that, that, that that's not meant to be uh, headed in a violent direction or even in a forceful direction. And I've, I've seen footage of, I've seen extended footage of people nonviolently violently protesting in the streets, just saying, you know, we, we will, we are willing. We are willing to die for for our country. If you kill us, but we want our country, and that 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 being the message, I've seen old women, young women, having their clothes torn off them and kicked by up to ten like armed men at one time, and then just raising up raising up the peace sign, the V. Um, in response to that, like as soon as they're able to stop, like huddling in fetal position, and 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 it it wasn't until I saw that footage that I really understood that like in the face of that kind of violence, it, at just one person, like the only real answer is to be nonviolent. Um, I don't. I and I I studied peace and conflict studies as a as a student. I I was. Committed and care about nonviolence theoretically, but I'd never seen it in action so powerfully. And then to talk, to talk with with activists who who have told me the the peace that they have in their hearts by being fully committed to nonviolence, and to know. And I I spoke to one activist in particular. Um, I, I'd like to, to, quote, to quote her, her name is Mina, uh, Mina Bally, and she, we were just having a conversation one afternoon, and she said, um, I, I'm, I'm translating and remembering at the same time, but she's, she just said to me, like, the, the peace that she had in her heart when there are eight or nine men, like, kicking her, and she knows that they know that she's a nonviolent activist and that she will not... They know when they approach her that she's not going to fight back and that that's her stance, that she finds so much moral peace in that decision and that commitment. And she even said, you know, she's known, she's, she's identified as, as an activist. People know who she is. Her house is surrounded by guards too, even though she's not the activist we're here to, to, to give a little space to. Um, But she said, uh, yeah, she, she said that she's known and people respect her, even, even the occupiers. She said the police know her and they respect her. And that feels like a victory within the face of so much like technological and systemic oppression that she holds that dignity and, and strength in herself. Um, and And I think it's worth saying that every activist who's spoken with me has made a point of saying, my words don't just represent me, they represent all the Sahrawi in my position. So whether it's a woman saying I represent all the other Sahrawi women. So when someone comes to me and says, you know, I I was I was raped in front of my brother, and I represent every Sahrawi woman who was raped in front of her family. And when I when I speak to mothers who are saying, you know, here's a picture of my son who was taken and he's in He's in this prison and you know, he I know he's being tortured and this is how. And then they'll pause and they'll say, But I'm not the only one. You need to know that every other mother like me needs an answer. And there's this sense of, of solidarity within the community. Um, it, it It makes the kind of solidarity that we talk about in the West or like when people were saying, oh, you're so, you know, thanks for being in solidarity with the Sahrawi people. The kind of internal solidarity that the Sahrawis have for each other is off the charts, like no charts involved.
0: Yeah. And what sort of vision do people have of... A future after this conflict, in particular with regard to Moroccan settlers, do the settlers stay? The troops leave? Uh, what is the what is the resolution that people are working for?
1: I want to share two things in response to that question. Other than I'm not the holder of the solutions, so I don't have a real answer to that, but. Um, one thing that uh, that came up in a conversation that I was having uh, over dinner the other night when we were having this delicious fish, um, and it was so good. And Sahrawi fish, it's one of the great resources of, of Western Sahara. And um, one of our hosts, uh, who's a, a nephew of, um, of Sultan Achaya, was telling us about how how much it means to the Sahrawi people to get to share their fish with us um, because they're so delicious and so rich um, and it's one of the major resources that Morocco has has taken the fishing rights off the coast of Western Sahara and sells uh, sells Sahrawi fish uh, to Europe and to the to the world under Moroccan Moroccan labels, um, and one of the things that he said to me. The, our host was, um, you can't share what has already been stolen. And I I think, when I think about, um, I hear in that a vision for the future, and I also hear a longing for the past, because the Sahrawi people, I hear them wanting to be able to share openly and freely. Um, and I, can't, I don't speak for Sahrawi people, but, but in, that memory immediately came up in symbolically uh, in answer to your question.
0: We're, um, we're speaking yeah. with Ruth McDonough, who is in Western Sahara from the United States and with a, a team of people, uh, including a, a friend of mine uh, with you there. Um, and you're in the home of a particular activist, uh, can you talk a little bit about about who and and why you're in that home?
1: Would you like to speak, Ali? My colleague, who's going to remain anonymous under code name Ali, uh, can speak to that. Can okay. Share
2: Please. Sure. Hi, David. There were a couple of organizations that got together to answer a request from the kaya family to help them break the siege or at least provide some safety for them because they underwent such terrible treatment during those well before the 483 days of de facto house arrest as well they suffered but they answered this organization answered a call from her and put together a team to try and get through the security forces and in, into the home which had been tried the stories that have been told to me tried over 40 times before by international teams to get in the house to provide some sort of relief and they all failed so we decided to come the group of us to provide unarmed uh, protection of of sultana and her family and to Give them a little space to get out their message. Their initial message was: we'd like three things. We'd like to stop the rapes, we'd like to stop the siege, and we'd like to have the Moroccan government allow an independent international human rights organization come in and do a full report, both sides of the story, of everything that's gone on. And and they seem to me to be pretty reasonable requests. Now there's another list of requests behind that, of course, but that list we thought, the team thought that was a reasonable request. And most of us have had training in unarmed civilian protection and nonviolent direct action. And so we came In an effort to make that space or to provide that space or to help create that space for the Kaya family to begin to get their feet back on the ground after just horrific violence against them for almost a year
0: and a half. We just have about three minutes left, and I wonder if either of you uh, could, uh, I don't want you to reveal any secrets, but how did you get in if, if 40 uh, attempts failed? And what can other people do to help, either by coming or without coming uh, from where they live in the world to Western Sahara?
1: Let's focus on how other people can help. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> um I think, first of all, learn about what's happening in Western Sahara. Um, integrate it into the, the, the social justice issues that we already care about. Um, make the connections, those connections, whether, you know, there, there are issues here of environmental justice, um, of indigenous rights, of, of community building, of of uh, of of gender equity um all all kinds of of issues and um, there's not it doesn't seem like there's a piece of of the interwoven fabric um of of justice and peace that isn't present and and living in this conflict um and and, and in this occupation um and, and try to come I mean if, if you're an American passport holder I would say you have nothing to worry about um, Western Sahara is a beautiful country um, come and, and push the limits it's very clear that uh, the Moroccan forces aren't going to do a thing to Americans and the more American eyes there are you know share share your stories um, Share, share your thoughts. It's a beautiful, beautiful place, um, and I'm, I'm sure the Sahrawi people will, will welcome having more people here, because this is a country that's been under complete total media blackout um, since 1975, um, with maybe the one exception being uh, the, the entry of the, the folks from, um, from Democracy Now!, who made a documentary in 2018. Watch that. I watched that before I came, and it's one of the reasons why I was sure I needed to come. Um, so, so I think, um, and, and you'll see Sultana Chaya in there and learn more about her. So I think start, start anywhere um, and know that everything that we're doing matters um, on the small and large level.
0: It's uh and the large level of course includes the fact that the US government is arming and funding and supporting almost every one of the most oppressive governments in the world and the US public is aware only of the very few that the US government is not supporting and arming uh which is an incredible feat of communications and and propaganda so uh, I, I think we need to do everything we can to support the work of people like Ruth McDonough who are there in Western Sahara and uh, and get there if you can uh, and help out. Yes, uh, it's
1: beautiful. Lots of things to do here.
0: Thank thank you. Thank you. And
1: thank you for mentioning the U.S. government's role. I appreciate that. And there's a lot we can do there, too.
0: (laughs) Thank you, Ruth, for coming on Talk World Radio.
1: Thanks so much, David.
0: This is Talk World Radio. I'm David Swanson. Take action at rootsaction.org. Help end war at worldbeyondwar.org. Read or listen to today's Peace Almanac entry at peacealmanac.org. All past shows can be heard at talkworldradio.org. Talk World Radio is produced in Charlottesville, Virginia, and syndicated by Pacifica Network. There is no way to peace.
2: Peace is the way.